Thank you for joining us here at C3 Edinburgh. We are all about authentic community, unlocked creativity, and the naturally supernatural life in Jesus' name. We are praying that this message will bless you and meet you right where you're at today. For more information about C3 Edinburgh, check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com. Uh, just to recap the series so far, um, this is running with others, which is very much like running with scissors, except differently dangerous. Um, and so we're kind of running through the series to give you tips on how to, uh, how to you know, manage relationships and have appropriate boundaries and uh, kind of live well in, in our lives with others, because relationship is at the core of everything, right? You can't do life without having relationships with people, otherwise you are a hermit. And even then you need a relationship with the animals that you probably rely on to bring you food or to be your food. Um, anyway, so week one we had Lisa talking about bullying, uh, which was really interesting. I've never heard a message on bullying before, um, which was great. Uh, week after that, two weeks ago, was, was Nath talking about marriage and spousal relationships. Uh, last week we had Alan talking about uh, culture. Um, and today I am talking about destiny. Uh, I don't know how many of you will have grown up in church, uh, or at least grew up in a church like I grew up in, um, but through my kind of early to mid-teenage years, uh, a lot of the focus, a lot of the stuff that we heard about at church, especially in youth, was about our destinies. Uh, now, destiny is a funny thing, uh, because when you're that kind of high school age uh, at church, when I was that kind of high school age in church, there was a lot of time spent on uh, how each of us had a special destiny. Uh, because God had a plan for us, and he has a mission for us to undertake, and if we did everything right and loved Jesus and honoured our parents and stayed away from sex and drugs and all the other bad things, then we'd be able to fulfil our destinies. The trouble is, though, that if that's not communicated well, uh, our concept of what destiny is can be kind of skewed because of the way that the world portrays destiny. Uh, I don't know if any people here would be studying literature or creative writing or anything like that, but has anyone here heard of the, the monomyth or the hero's journey? I'm seeing some nods, this is good. For those of you who don't, uh, tell me if you've ever seen this film. An individual rises up out of their ordinary world and answers the call to adventure leaving behind their families, and overcoming their doubts, fears, and many enemies, achieve some great victory before returning to their no longer ordinary world, somehow changed or reborn. Is that relatively familiar as a general kind of plot line through a film? Um, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, The Matrix, all of Harry Potter, basically every war movie, all kind of follow this track. Um, and that's, that's kind of how the world portrays what destiny is, is that you, an individual, need to be taken out of your current circumstance, go on some massive journey, and come back changed and different so that you can uh, 
or unless you already have somehow in the process, change your world away from what is or what was ordinary. Um, and as much as the world would like to kind of persuade us that that's the way that you become a hero, that's the way you fulfill your destiny, that's not how it works. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I've shattered your illusions of uh, the realism of, of Samwise Gamgee and Frodo going to destroy the ring. It's not real. It's not how it goes. And we need to get our heads around what destiny means in the kingdom of God and God's idea of what destiny is. Alan spoke brilliantly last week on culture. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to get the podcast. Because um, he spoke about how the Israelites came out of Egypt, but they still brought some of Egypt with them. And they had to go through this process of letting go of that culture before they could get into the promised land. Um, because if you, if you drag around your, your old life, your old ideas of oppression and victimhood, you can't step into the freedom that God has for you now, right? So the Israelites coming out of Egypt are stuck in their old way of thinking, and an entire generation had to die off in the desert so that the new generation, with the new thinking and the new culture, could go into the promised land and, and set up what would eventually become uh, the culture into which Jesus could be born so that all of mankind can be saved. So in the same way that the Israelites had to cast off the culture of Egypt, we need to cast off our ideas, our worldly notions of what uh, destiny and calling are in order to do what God would have us do, in order to fulfill the calling that God has for all of us. So, what would God have us do? Uh, Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28 says this. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that's another culture, right? Stay there. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, because your culture... The kingdom of heaven culture is different to that. But whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as the ransom for many. And then over in Matthew 25, verse 40, uh, whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers or sisters, you do to me. So it is that our destinies are not above lifting ourselves out of our ordinary world to go on an adventure, but they're about lifting up the people around us. What else does this mean? Actually, if you look at the context of that first verse in Matthew chapter 20, it means that being elevated to a position of, of high or senior leadership over other people, it must definitely be mandated by God. Right? If, we're, if, we're supposed to, if we're supposed to make ourselves less in serving others, that means that the only one who can lift us up into authority over other people in the kingdom sense is God. So how does this tie into Moses? Well, I'm not going to talk about Moses today. Ha! Because I'm a practical person. And practically speaking, uh, at this point in our lives... 
none of us need to learn how to be Moses. Nathan and Lisa are our Moses in this setting and in this time, right? That's right, grow that beard. <laughs> they received a call from God to leave their home in Australia, go about as far away as they could with three small children and to start a church here in Edinburgh. And here all of us are as a result of them following that vision. So how do we learn to follow them better as they follow the call that God's placed on their lives? Well, we don't need to be more like Moses to do that. We need to be more like Aaron. Who knows who Aaron is? Aaron is Moses' older brother. And as an older brother, I can attest to how difficult it is for me to wrap my head around the concept of following the word of my younger brother. This is just because of the relationship that we had growing up. Uh, fortunately, I live on the other side of the world to him, as you may be able to tell from my accent, and I'm unlikely to have to do that at any time soon. So that's easier for me. Um, now, ambition is not a bad thing in the kingdom. Ambition to do more in church and more in the kingdom of God is a good thing. Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you, so wanting to increase our capacity to do and to do better is brilliant because there's a lot that needs to be done. However, just mathematically, there's probably very few of us who will end up being the ones in charge. Chances are it's not my destiny or my calling to be the one calling the shots. It's a very specific apostolic call. So I need to get good at following right? Building the kingdom of God on earth, building the kingdom of heaven on earth is not an individual pursuit. It's a team sport. Every salvation that we see here is a team effort. Uh, every new person finding their home in the kingdom is a team win. Every healing and every breakthrough in the times of worship that we have is a team win with the Spirit of God moving through this place and moving through the, the talents and the ability and the anointing of the people who have laid their lives down or laid their Sunday mornings down to serve here. And once we understand that, we stop jostling for position and we stop comparing ourselves to each other and we begin working together for the team. And so we need to learn to follow well. And this is not new news. This is not a new idea. Jesus said, whoever is last will be first. Submission and serving are cultural cornerstones in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Exodus chapter 4 verse 27 says this, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. To give you some context, and we've already heard part of this story, um, about 40 years before this moment, Moses kills an Egyptian guy who was beating up an Israelite and flees into the wilderness. And he, he, in that four decades, is a long time. So he has set himself up with a life, he's got married, he's had children, he's, he's got livestock, and he's relatively wealthy out of Egypt. And then God appears to him in the burning bush, which I'm sure is a story that we all know, Prince of Egypt. Um, and, and tells him to go back to Egypt and to, to bring the Israelites out from under Pharaoh's rule as slaves 
and bring them out into the wilderness to then go onto the promised land. Um, now, ignoring Moses for a second, there's no record of anyone, and there's no reason to think that anyone would have done because they were all slaves. There is no record of anyone getting out of Egypt in that 40 years. So when, when God says to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses, that's a calling that no one that we know of has had, right? Sometimes God will call you out and send you out to do something different than you've been doing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to end up in charge of the thing that he's asked us to do. Sometimes you put the hard yards in, and in this, in this 40 years that Moses has been out in the wilderness, tending to his sheep and raising his family, Aaron, as far as we can tell, has been uh, serving in the community of the Israelites. He's been kind of getting in amongst the elders, and he's relatively senior in that kind of leadership area. And traditionally... In our, in our thinking, he's the person that you put forward to, to lead. He's the person that gets put forward to, to go into that senior role. But God often doesn't do that. We know that Moses had killed an Egyptian and that he'd run off into the wilderness. And sometimes God will bring a person from outside and they'll come with baggage. Ooh, history, ooh. And God will promote them above where we are into a position that we ourselves had hoped to get. Uh, if you look at the prodigal son and his brother, if you look at, at John the Baptist and then Jesus, this, this is a thing that happens. And it's good because God put Moses in charge because Moses had been where the Israelites needed to go. No matter how good Aaron was at his job, he'd only ever been a slave. And God needed to use Moses to do something new for the whole people of Israel. When I moved to the UK in 2009, September 2009, I had heard the call of God pretty clearly um, to, to pull up stumps from Sydney where I was living at the time and to help out the C3 church uh, that at the time was the only C3 church in London. Um, and for a while, I was pretty confident that he was sending me to, to head up the worship team and to take it into new levels and new places and rah, yeah. Uh, but that's not what happened. Um, there was a, there's quite a few months between January when I, when I felt that call and September when I got over here. And during that time, there was another couple... Uh, Mike and Kelly Taylor, who if you've met them at any point, you will know that they are brilliant people. Um, and I've been at Bible College with these guys, and they, they also got called to London um, and were offered this, this kind of more senior ministry position. And if I was honest with myself at the time, I would have admitted that they were way, 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 way better than me at doing everything that would have needed to be done in that, in that context of, of running the worship at this church. Um, they were more equipped, they were more talented, they were all of these things, but I'm not going to be honest, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not going to be honest. 
It was fine. No, let me be honest with you. It stung when, when they got this thing that I wanted. By the time I got to London, though, I was totally on board with it because I, I, they're great and they are exactly the right people for the job. And if I had have headed that up, I wouldn't be here now. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that, as a result of, of me being able to be here and Abby being able to be here as well, that has happened in our lives and through our lives to different people who have come and gone through this church. Um, and if we stayed in London, there's, I mean, someone else would be here, but it may not have gone so well for those people that we've been able to bless and, and send off home. Um, so part of this, part of this idea of, of followership that I'm talking about this morning is that you need to keep your attitude sweet. Um, because sometimes God calls you to lead and sometimes God calls you to follow. And we need to be comfortable with this and we need to trust his process. Um, because ultimately, we all serve and follow the same God and the same plan. And often, often God will give us a taste of something that we want to make us realize that we, we actually do really want that thing. Um, and that's what he does fairly early on with Aaron. I, I can't imagine uh, Aaron not thinking as, he's, as he receives this call from God to do something that no one else has done for 40 years, that as he heads off into the wilderness, that um, as he comes back with Moses, that in his head he is probably thinking, I'm bringing back Moses. Moses, is a, Moses was the prince. He was like the, adopted as the son of, of Pharaoh's daughter, and he's going to have all this influence, and I'm older than him, so I'm like naturally slightly more senior, and I have all this position in the community, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to be in charge, and we're going to, we're going to do something. Um, but that's not what happened, obviously, because Moses unpacks this, this experience that he's had with God in the burning bush in the wilderness, and... Aaron begins to realize, actually, yeah, okay, okay, so I need to be your mouthpiece because I speak well, because of all my experience speaking to people in the community, and you're a little slow of speech, so let me, ooh, ooh, I'm louder. Um, uh, so, yeah, Aaron, Aaron becomes kind of Moses's publicity guy, Moses' public relations guy, and then after, after he's laid down this, this idea of being in charge and has served Moses faithfully, he's made the high priest over all of Israel. He's the guy who goes into the temple and makes the sacrifices on behalf of all the people to atone for their sins, right? That's, that's not a small deal. It's only small if you're comparing it to Moses. And as we know, comparison is the thief of joy, and we should never compare our positions to that of someone else. Now, who remembers the part of the story where Moses goes to face Pharaoh, and he throws down his staff, and it turns into a snake? Yeah, I'm seeing some nods. I'm seeing some nods. Does everyone remember that? When Moses threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh? Never happened. 
Never happened, right? You've been lied to by the Prince of Egypt movie. It wasn't Moses' staff, it was Aaron's. Moses did it when he was, when he encountered God in front of the burning bush. God says to him in, in that place, throw down your staff and it'll turn into a snake. Put your hand inside your cloak and pull it out and it'll be leprous. And then if you put it back in and take it out again, it will be healed. So Moses has this encounter with God, but he doesn't then do it again. Exodus chapter 7, verse 8 to 12 says this, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians. That's a hard thing to say. And the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down their staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Just as an aside, right, completely appropriate to anything else that I have to say today, we think we're really clever in our kind of 21st century setting. We have, we have smartphones that are more powerful than computers were 10 years ago. We have access to all of human knowledge and understanding via the internet. Where are the people who know how to turn things into snakes? Because this is, this is like not even a deal. The Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Right? When did we lose that knowledge? <laughs> anyway, complete aside. Uh, a staff, I, I've done some research on this. A staff is significant. Um, it's not just a walking stick. It's actually a symbol of identity and, and probably office as well. Um, it's a tall thing, usually higher than the head of the person, um, with some kind of uh, design or icon or whatever it is on top, shape thing on top. Um, if you imagine like a tour guide with that orange umbrella marching through the Royal Mile during the festival going, follow me, I'm leading your tour. Um, Similar to that in that in ancient Egypt there would have been lots of crowds, there would have been lots of slaves hanging around. So having a staff meant people could see over the tops of the heads of everyone else that, oh wait, that guy's coming, let's all respectfully get out of their way. So staffs represent a status symbol. Moses was a shepherd uh, and his staff kind of represents that. Um, as I said before, he's got livestock, he's relatively wealthy. Um, so as, as you see a guy walking along with a shepherd's crook or a shepherd's staff, you would know, okay, so this guy's, this guy's worthy of my respect because he's, he's managing to support himself in, in a time where it's difficult to do that because there's lots of desert and there's lots of plague and there's lots of famine and there's lots of no rain for several years at a time. Um, so he could take care of himself in a way that a slave couldn't. But when God says, throw down your staff, he's saying, cast down your worldly status and your worldly identity and the authority that comes with that. See, in casting down his staff in front of Pharaoh, Aaron's saying, it's not me. 
I'm not doing this. He's saying, not only do I trust God, but that I also trust Moses' revelation of God and the anointing that God has given Moses to lead. Sometimes the purpose of God only comes to life when we let go of what we're holding on to and what we're using to prop ourselves up. So Aaron takes on what Moses told him to do. He lays down his doubts, he lays down his fears, he lays down his worries, and a miracle happens. That's the power that there is in submission to leadership. Now, I want to take a moment here to talk about something relatively serious and painful, um, because if you submit yourself to leadership, you open yourself up to the possibility of some kind of uh, abuse or being taken advantage of. People are broken, and there's a temptation when you have influence to use your position to affect change in uh, the people around you to benefit yourself. So broadly speaking, it's human nature to be selfish. I think we, no one's really gonna argue that. It's part of our sinful nature to try and game the system to our advantage, and it's much easier to do that when there are people following you. And there have been terrible, disgusting abuses of power throughout human history, both inside and outside of the church. And if you've been affected by that, or if you suffered through that and been hurt by it, then please hear me, it was never right, and it could never be justified uh, by the people who did it, no matter their reason. So part of, part of this is we want to bring some healing this morning uh, because the kingdom of heaven is a place for broken people to be made whole. But if you're holding on to past pain in an effort to kind of keep your distance from coming under someone else's leadership again, then I want, to, I want to encourage you to try to begin the process of letting go of that, especially in this church. Speaking for the entire leadership team here, uh, we, we are not here to hurt you. In the nearly, in the nearly four years since, uh, since this church began, we've been blessed to see so many people come through these doors and grow and be changed by what God is doing, and we want to see more of that. So if you believe that God has brought you to this church, please don't be afraid to let go of that fear. We don't want to take away your identity or your individuality. We want your relationship with God to prosper and grow, and serving in the house is an amazing way of doing that. Um, I want to take a few minutes to look at uh, an abuse of leadership in, in Aaron's life now, just quickly. Uh, Exodus 32, 1 to 6 says this, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, just to give some context, this is, this is when Moses is in God's presence, uh, getting all the, the commandments written down on the two tablets, and, and that takes time, apparently. I, I've never done that myself. Um, but obviously there's been a delay, and so the people are getting a bit restless. So when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves up together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, 
the man who brought us out of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and rose up to play. Essentially, this is what, what happens here is the opposite of what happens when, Moses, when Aaron throws down his staff. In front of Pharaoh, Aaron had faith. The vision was new and fresh, and it was easy for him in that moment to go, yes, I will throw down my staff. But out in the desert, out in the wilderness, Aaron loses sight of Moses' vision and gets bogged down with the fears of the people. Now, how many of us have heard someone say, Someone should do something about this in that kind of tone. That's what the people of Israel are doing here. They're, they're essentially complaining. And, and in that moment, instead of being Moses' mouthpiece and sticking with the, the plan that God has given Moses to carry out, he panics. He takes the wrong kind of initiative where he should say, no, I'm not going to make you gods. We already have a god and he has brought us this far, he goes, uh, uh, what did we do in Egypt? They had, oh, they had big statues, they had idols, so let's, let's get some gold, give me some gold. And this is a huge betrayal of not only the trust that Moses has placed in Aaron to kind of leave him behind as Moses goes up the mountain to, to be with God, um, but it's also a betrayal of God's specific call for Aaron as both uh, a follower of what Moses is saying, but in this instance as well, of being the de facto leader of the people. He gives in to fear, and Israel is almost wiped out by a plague as a result of these actions. So I want to take a, a quick moment to address fear. One of the things that the Bible says not to do, I think possibly more than anything else, is fear not. It's at least 30 times in the specific God or a prophet of God speaking to the people. Example, fear not. Da, 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 da. Fear not is always said right before God does something big. Think about the angel that appears when Jesus is born and says to the shepherds, fear not. Fear is something that we allow ourselves to tolerate uh, in our daily lives and in our walk with God because it keeps us safe. It doesn't actually keep us safe. It keeps us hemmed in. It keeps us in the boat when Jesus is calling us out of the boat to walk on the water. Fear keeps us from the miraculous. Fear, when we should have faith, 
is a stumbling block in our journey. Fear makes us make idols out of the things that used to be worth something in our old lives. But what good is gold when you're in the wilderness and God is providing all of your needs? As at this point, the Israelites are getting manna from heaven every morning. If you don't know what manna is, it's like God creates little bits of bready stuff. Yeah, like, like baklava almost. Imagine, imagine waking up and you have unlimited baklava for the day. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? And there's, there's other moments where, you know, they're in the wilderness, which is obviously a desert, which is obviously like the... the I, I'm not a geologist or a geographist. I don't know. I don't know what the word is. So obviously I'm not that thing. Um, but from what I understand, the very definition of a desert is a place that doesn't have very much water in it. And so they're out in the desert going, we don't have any water. And Moses, uh, God says to Moses, hit that thing, hit that rock with your, with your staff. And the rock cracks open and it becomes a spring of water. And that's enough water somehow for, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Israelites at this point in the desert. And the tragedy is that Aaron has this opportunity to step up and lead the people in the right way, to use his ability to speak well, to placate the crowds. But he takes them in the wrong direction. And this, again, is the importance of submission to the leadership that you are under. Because if he had just done this one thing right, if he had just taken a breath, and it's easy to say in hindsight, because we look back and go, how many times do you look back on people in the Bible and go, you idiot, what did you do that for? Um, But you... The lesson here is that if and when you're in a position of influence in the church or in another church in the future, because I know that a lot of you guys are students and you're not planning on spending your whole lives in Edinburgh, which is a foolish decision, by the way, just quietly. Um, if, you, if you're in a position of influence in, a, in this church or in another church in the future, make sure you are going in the same direction as the people you're being led by. Um, when I was at Bible college, uh, which is nearly 15 years ago now, just quietly, you know, more than, more than half of most of your lives, just to, just to throw that out there, um, when I was at Bible college, uh, the, the dean of the students there said something profound to us all on the first day. She said, um, all of you feel like God has called you to this college because it's a, it's a calling, it's a specific thing to go to Bible college. Um, now, God is not surprised by the rules that we have here, right? One of the rules was uh, you can drink, you can drink alcohol, but do not drink more alcohol than the legal limit uh, for driving allows you because at some point, you know, you're here to learn to be a minister and at some point you may get a phone call in the middle of a time when you're at a party from someone that you need to go and provide pastoral care to. 
And if you need to get in a car and drive, then you need to be you need to be cogent, you need to be with it enough, you need to not be intoxicated. So do not drink more than, than the legal alcohol limit for driving. Uh, now obviously students railed against this because it's the student time of our lives and we want to drink alcohol, dang it. Um, but God brings us under authority. He was not surprised by the rules that the college had, and so it was not unreasonable for the college to say, you need to follow these rules. So if God has brought you to this church and you believe that God has brought you to this church, it's fair to say that he has brought you here under the leadership of Nathan Lease. Because he is not surprised by the fact that they are running this church and doing an amazing job of it, if I do say so myself. He's brought us here to learn from them. So what can we learn from them? What can they teach us? We can learn from their 15 years of marriage, 16 years of marriage, and how after that time they are still so obviously in love with each other. We can learn from the joy that they so clearly have in each other's company. We can learn from their heart for their family and from the way that they love and build up their kids. We can see their love for and pursuit of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. Even as they go through the costly and complicated process of renewing their visas to be able to stay here indefinitely. And let me stop there. Nathan Lisa's plan is to be here indefinitely, to build this church indefinitely, to stick at it for as long as it takes to see this city changed for Jesus to not return to the more comfortable, simpler life that they would have in Australia, surrounded by friends and and family. No, they intend to work, to persevere, to brave storms and valleys and hardships in order that lives may be changed and souls might be saved by coming to a knowledge of our Saviour. And that kind of obedience to God is worth following. So let's follow them. Let's imitate them as they imitate Christ, as Paul said. Now, we do that because what Nathan and Lisa are trying to build here is supposed to outlast Nathan and Lisa. So we're talking about legacy. Aaron never made it to the promised land. Neither did Moses. They died before they could get in. And that's not a bad thing because Israel, the people, made it to where they were supposed to go. Just because Moses and Aaron didn't get there doesn't mean their reward is any less in heaven. The reason that Aaron's staff eats up the other sorcerer's staffs is because the things that God does last and the things that man does fall short. We came here, Nathan and Lisa came here, Abby and I came here to build something that will outlast us. Moses and Aaron didn't make it to the promised land, but they were building something in the Israelites that would outlive both of them and would ultimately result in the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. So the vision that we have to follow is Nathan Lisa's vision. 
which is to see Edinburgh, a powerful and influential city, powerfully influenced by Christ through the work of our church. It's the vision to see measurable demographic changes, like Nay says, reduced mental health issues, reduced divorces, reduced crime and domestic violence, the complete lack of homelessness, increased generosity in the city, increased levels of happiness in the people, more Jesus. What we leave behind, our legacy, is not for, for their fame. It's not for any of our fame. It's for everyone who comes after and for the glory of God. And that's why I follow these guys. And that's why we should all follow these guys.